And so as soon as I got to the place where I was able to just recognize it's not about what their assumption is or their projection of me, it's it's who I am and what I'm about and being clearer about those things and on the things that I'm still struggling and or learning about, being open and just saying, I'm still figuring that part of it out and that's okay. And I'm gonna give myself the permission and the grace to, to grow and move in that way. And it's okay if they don't want to. <laughs> Right. But I know for myself, you know, I'm, I'm the one who has to give myself the permission and that's enough. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners, to episode 48. As always, I'm your host, Steve Wopolinik of the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. Our guest today is Amani Sunarain, my old supervisor, my work godmother, my good friend. And I'm really excited for this episode because we got to sit down and talk about what she does for self-care, how to recognize self-care, what self-care is, and then also how to know when... You just don't have it to do self-care, and sometimes checking out is good enough in the moment and not to hold guilt or shame around that. I don't want to spoil the episode too much, but wanted to let you know it was really amazing to touch base with Amani again, hear what she's been up to and how she's taking her interests in sewing, her skill of sewing, and is making it into a new endeavor and business of her own. She has a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom that she shares in the episode, and I'm really excited for you guys to check it out. So check the show notes for everything she's doing now and how to touch base with her if you're interested in talking to her more. And without further ado, here's Imani. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. I told Luca that I was talking to you today. He's like, oh, Captain America. Tell him I say hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good way to start off the podcast. Mm-hmm. Welcome, yeah. Imani. <laughs> <laughs> hi. So uh, many of you don't know this, so I'm just going to throw this out there, all, all the listeners out there. Today, our guest is the one, the only, my work godmother, Amani. <laughs> so happy to have her here. Um, I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really, you're set up in, in your your room where you're doing all the sewing and all the craft stuff. So it's, it's pretty yes. awesome to see that background, nice and light, nice and yellow and Yes, Lighting. it's it's a very, very, very cheerful place. That's great. You, you guys will have to take our word for it because you won't be able to see it right now, but it is a very warm, inviting uh, place, much like Amani's presence. So I think it really fits really well. So awesome. oh, thank you. 
So obviously we, we know each other, right? Uh, yes. So Brenna was on the podcast before we got to work with Brenna on part of team awesome, yes. uh, which is a, a really original name, but it really s- suit all of us together in a team. Um, Absolutely. But I'm wondering if you can let the listeners know a little bit about you, who you are, what your passions are and what your journey has been in life. Sure. Um, that's quite the intro, but thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, so and it's a loaded name, question, right? Like, he was like, yeah, just oh, say everything about one. you. Just tell everything. Yeah, yeah. How, how long do we have? Um, <laughs> my name is Amani Sunarine. I am a licensed mental health counselor, and I am um, a proud mother. I am a wife. I am a daughter, and I am also the creator and founder of Tuck Press, which is a sewing blog, and um, we are starting to um, turn into also a, a small sewing uh, notions business. So that's sort of a little bit about that. Um, I have been really very passionate about the intersectionality of mental health and gender and culture, um, what feels like forever now. I'll be celebrating uh, 20 years um, in this industry soon, very, very soon, a few days. Um, and I, I'm just really very, very passionate also about how our mental health is impacted by our physical health and how often, even though in our training, we are told, yes, you have to make sure that you are, um, looking at the whole person and you are, you know, looking to see how maybe a a physical ailment might be impacting their mental health. I don't feel like in practice, that's actually what happens. And there, there's a multitude of reasons for that. Um, But, you know, I, I've had a really long personal journey. um, And also within my family, um, we've had a really long uh, journey with just how much your physical health impacts your mental health and how if you are not paying attention to the whole person, you're missing it altogether. (laughs) And and that that really can have a devastating impact, but there there is a way to to heal completely. And, um, And that's really a big part of our family journey and sort of why I'm here and why we're talking. Awesome. I love, I love all that stuff uh, that you mentioned and there's so much to kind of unpack with it. Um, I'd like to start just by kind of offering a personal antidote of our relationship that I felt was really um, significant. I've mentioned it before on the podcast, um, but since you're here, I just want to thank you again for it is uh, when you were talking about that intersectionality of mental health and gender and culture, um, I think is really important stuff that gets overlooked. And we, we've had some guests on and we've talked a little bit about that. But personally, I just wanted to share that there were two times in our history of, of working together, but also being friends that you called me out and in a really supportive way, not, not you know, like you're an idiot, Steve. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that started my own journey of looking at my own internalized viewpoints and, and kind of uh, doing the work for me to kind of challenge myself to to look at these things like culture and gender and and how it's affected me growing up and, and some changes I could make. So the first one uh, was we were talking about, I think, a tank top 
like an undershirt tank top. And I mistakenly called it a wife beater. And you're like, no. And I was like, you're right. I don't know why. It was just kind of an ingrained cultural thing because yeah. that's what everyone called it. Yeah. And it was one of the first moments uh, due to my own past with anxiety and depression and self-esteem that I was mm -hmm. actually able to sit with that and not get defensive and not mm -hmm. avoid, but really challenge myself and be like, you know what, this is 100% correct and I have to do better. And the mm -hmm. second one, which I've mentioned before on the podcast was uh, I was talking to a guest, we were talking about toxic masculinity. I had just seen Frozen 2, I believe. So I was hyping up how much I love that movie. And, um, you know, Kristoff and, you know, the Lost in the Woods song that was very, mm -hmm. that was <laughs> very so ridiculous. And I love it. Amazing. Um, yes. My wife does not enjoy that song, but it's one of my favorite <laughs> parts. Um, and we were talking about that and talking about how when my wife and I found out we were having a daughter. I was talking to you and, oh no, we were, we found out we were pregnant and we were, no, we weren't even pregnant at the time. What am I thinking? We were talking about the future of having a kid mm -hmm. and you, you asked me, uh, would you prefer a boy or a girl? And I said, well, I kind of want a boy just to carry on the last name. And again, you so graciously called me out on that. And I was able to sit with that and say, you know what? You're right. I don't, it's just this kind of, gender norm that I kind of grew up with and I and I was able to kind of hear that and do that work so I want to thank you for that and also talk about how even though on this podcast I, I like to talk with a lot of guests and get into this intersectionality and mental health and physical health and all these things um, I've still had a huge journey to to go mm -hmm. from a place and, and kind of question myself and challenge myself forward so I'm really really excited to have you here and then you know that you held that a you know, made me hold that accountability for myself or allowed me to actually is, is the better phrasing, I think. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that, that those moments have stayed with you and, and thanks for the appreciation and the shout out. I, I do appreciate that. And, you know, it's one of those things where it is a journey. I think we are all always having to think about our speech. We're having to think about sort of where we place ourselves in things. Um, and, you know, and I'm sure we're going to have those moments in this podcast, you know, that's, that is, that's the work. Yeah. And I feel like the more that we're willing to call each other in and call each other out on those things and do it in a way that allows us to have those moments of growth. I think that's how we all get better and, and how things can improve for the benefit of everyone so that it can feel more inclusive. It can be more accepting. It can be more welcoming. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, it was, like I said, I had, the, I always had this feeling of being really easygoing and flow like water and, you know, uh, the tenets of Bruce Lee and all, all this, mm -hmm. this mysticism and all this stuff, um, meditation, even back then exercise. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge part of my journey. Um, but I was always really defensive at getting called out. And I, I think it speaks one as, you know, you were my supervisor. So that relationship in a supervising mm -hmm. setting really was conducive for me and helped me grow not only as a person, but as uh, an employee and in, in the work I did. And two, it made me realize that one of my passions now that kind of stemmed from that and some other stuff along the way um, was that beginner's mind 
to kind of approach things and really look at things like, oh, I am different than I was 10 years ago. And I'm going to be different 10 years from now, which is right around this time. <laughs> this mm-hmm. happened about 10 years ago. Yeah. And which is really wild when you think about it. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be stagnant. But I think for me, my own internal thing was I was latching on to that person who I was. So I'd feel more confident and more comfortable. But it was really like a, a false control. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that's true for so many of us. I know, yeah. I know for myself, that's certainly been the case, you know, sort of this idea of, of who I think I am, or even the idea, you know, clinging to the idea of what people expect you to be. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's such an ingrained part of our culture. I know that that's, um, there's definitely a lot of gender politic that's wrapped up in that as well. Uh, yeah, and, sure. you know, and there's just so much that you can unpack about that. But I, I feel like, at least in my journey, there've been moments where I've said, I get that that's someone's expectation or how they want me to be, but that's actually more about where they're at in their process. Right. And not an actual reflection of who I am and what I'm about. And um, and I think there's room for both because I, I think that if, if it's really, if you kind of get stuck in this place of like, oh, well, I'm going to like constantly like fight them about that. And, 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 you know, this sort of idea of like, let me prove you wrong. I don't know that that's how I want to spend my energy. You know, there's right. a period of my life where I spend a lot of time and energy on that. It didn't serve me. And so as soon as I got to the place where I was able to just recognize it's not about what their assumption is or their projection of me, it's, it's who I am and what I'm about and being clearer about those things and on the things that I'm still struggling and or learning about being open and just saying, I'm still figuring that part of it out and that's okay. And I'm going to give myself the permission and the grace to, to grow and move in that way. And it's okay if they don't want to, (laughs) but I know for myself, you know, I'm, I'm the one who has to give myself the permission and, and that's enough. Yeah. And I think that's, it's so pertinent to everything that not just what we're talking about here, but just in, in any kind of walk or, or a hobby or interest that we're talking about, you know, when I, I like writing, but I don't do it as much as I should. And mm-hmm. part of it's my internal brain just saying, okay, I know if I'm going to sit down and write, I want to do it. I want to get it all out. And I don't know if I can do it if I just have 30 minutes to do it. So I'm just not going to do it. And I think part of it, oddly enough, I've heard from other podcasts kind of helped me inform that of, oh, I can I can give myself permission to just write crap and then go back and wreck on it or work through it or say, oh, OK, I didn't really like how this flowed. So let me go back and um, process through it. Absolutely. And even though you do that work, it's still, sometimes it's still in the back of your mind and you have to almost not battle it, but you have to say, Hey, I see you, but you're wrong. <laughs> let, yes. let me kind of go forward. Uh, I remember recently around Thanksgiving, I was uh, finishing up this article on mindful eating and my mom asked, I had like probably a paragraph left to finish it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do it. Let me sit down and do it. But then my mom asked me to help help her order presents for Christmas. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. And so I'm doing it. And the whole time I'm like, oh, mom, I have to do this. I don't really want to do it. And she, she just said, 
whatever <laughs> you're you're old enough now and so i committed because i was already on the computer i'm just gonna go and it turned in to two articles because it ended up being like nine pages because i actually sat and had that space and said to myself oh this works much better if i separate it out because it's a different same theme but different tone in each yeah. one and I don't think I would have been, I probably would have just slapped an ending onto it and, and kind of put it out there if I didn't allow myself that space to play around. Yeah. And I know it's a very like specific thing I'm talking about, but I think that general, you can generalize it out to exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. And I, and I know for myself, I have to do that. You know, I think so much of, I'm, I'm very type A in personality and, and there's a rigidity to my personality and um, and for so long, you know, I feel like, you know, people would point to that, point that out and it would be, I would be very defensive and it felt very, it felt very much like an insult. But I, I also know that in many ways it's my superpower um, because it allows me to create stronger boundary. It allows me to um, really kind of get tunnel vision when I need to get tunnel vision. So there are ways where I can use it for good. And if I'm moving in a direction that is, you know, far too aligned with perfectionism, I, I have to like rein it in and I have to walk away from it. And taking that space to do that is really so liberating. And it took a while to trust that. Um, but once I did, I have found that I can be more creative. I can come back and look at something with a new gaze and I can say, oh, well, that actually is the solution. It's it's been right there, but I was so stuck in everything else, I couldn't see it. And yeah. and I just think that we don't give ourselves enough time and space to do that. And it's also it's reinforced by the culture that we live in that like go 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 constant. And you know, I guess in some ways, at least for me, I feel like that's part of the blessing that twenty twenty gave. I I had to slow down. Um, and I guess. I would even go maybe even further back. 2019 gave me a forced slowdown. I had to go on a medical leave. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I had no option. <laughs> and okay. I was just like, no, 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 I'm going to plow. And I'm like, no, I cannot plow. I have to stop. And so you have to give yourself that space. It's yeah. critical. And it really comes, uh, I think a lot of it's intuition-based as well. Um, mm -hmm. Really, I think sometimes we have that voice in the back of our head who will call us out. No, you need to slow down or you're not taking care of yourself. You're taking care of others. You're, you're giving too much, but again, cultural norms. And then also just sometimes our own stubbornness or tenacity, I guess is the nicer way to say that um, <laughs> makes us feel like, no, I'm the expert here. I know what to do. And you just, you, you plow in a different way, you plow over that voice and intuition's a really interesting thing because if you're not in harmony with it or if you don't honor it, it comes back to bite you in the ass oh, in yes. different ways, physically, oh, yes. mentally, uh, spiritually, relationship-wise. Uh, it just doesn't go away. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. we say out of sight, out of mind. So yeah, we're good, but it, it comes back in many different ways. Absolutely. And you... I think there's also a part of, depending on what happens in your life, I think you may get the message, you can't trust your inner voice. You know, it's somebody else imposing that on you, but you believe it. Right. And so it takes, it can take you time to reacquaint yourself with that voice. And, and once you do, again, it is a 
for me, I feel like it's been very liberating because it's like, you were there all along. You've actually always been able to be the beacon that gets me to the place I need to be. I can do this, I can trust this. And if I need help, I also know that I can, I can reach out to people who can give me additional support and wisdom. And that in itself is a really radical act to be able to say like, I need that support, I need that help. And, but it, it comes, it's centered in being able to listen to that, that, that voice, you know? So I'm, I'm right there with you. And yeah, it will, it will come at you hard if you ignore yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, I like what you said there, because, you know, from my perspective, it, it's easy enough to say, oh, you, you have to cultivate this ability to listen. But what you brought to that conversation just now that was really informative and made me stop and think is people don't always have that support that allows them, like you're saying, to hear that their voice is strong and, and their intuition can be trusted. And I think depending on those situations, it's really eye-opening in the concept of, okay, there's many layers to this, right? Like how do you honor your voice when you have the ability to trust in your voice and, and build that discipline of saying, okay, this is what I'm hearing. Uh, how do I do that introspection to, to kind of facilitate that and build from it? But even before that, it, it's how do you get to that point where you can trust that your voice is in your best interest and that is steeped in so much stuff. And that, I think that can be really hard. And I think that people can come to it in so many different ways. I know for myself, you know, and I always kind of giggle a little bit about this and people have looked at me like, I can't believe you just said that. But like, I'm the therapist who will say, you know, sometimes therapy is not a fit for everyone. That may not be the place where you, you have that exchange to trust your voice. Mm-hmm. But for other people, and, and myself included, there have been times where that's been a critical component into learning to trust my voice again. Um, and there have been times where that wasn't the space. You know, there was a period of my life, and you were a big part of this, where I was like, I need to run. Like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to use words. I don't have the words. I just need to run. And so a physical outlet was what allowed me to essentially retune and and to sort of reintegrate. And so being able to say, I, you know, there is something going on and I'm upset and I don't, you know, that sort of that sense of feeling out of control, you know, that so many of us experience this is the thing that's helping me kind of come back together and that that serves a purpose. And then it's like, things are clear again and I can hear the voice. I can trust it. And it's like, yes, I'm good. Um, and, you know, I think that that shows up in lots of different ways and in different forms. I know for myself, sewing is a huge part of that. It allows me to, to connect with that inner dialogue. Um, it becomes meditative in, in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and I, I can reconnect and, and really trust that, that part of myself. I'm going to say, I love that. And as my sister listens, she's going to laugh because she made it aware to me on the last episode I released that I say that a lot, (laughs) that I love that a lot, but I I do think (laughs) it's really important because, you know, I, I like saying that because I really do believe that Um, it's not just face value. So you might hear me say it a couple of times in this podcast and you can kind of make fun of me later, listeners, if you want. To. <laughs> it, it's genuine. It's from the heart. Um, 
because we often hear there's more than one way to accomplish something, right? Um, whether it's a goal, whether it's calmness, whether it's, you, you know, um, passing a test or, or building a Lego set. Um, although that's a little bit harder because there are specific, <laughs> specific directions to, to get there, but there. there are some hacks that we've developed along the years. I feel like can, can get you there. Um, but, and I think a lot of us do believe that, but sometimes we get so regimented in, in the outcome instead of the process. And, and so we lose that focus because we don't hit that outcome this is where perfectionism kind of is bred. And so I think sometimes we can take that step back and pay attention to, okay, there's a different way to get to that goal. But I think the bigger thing is it doesn't always have to be that way consistently. So you, you just talked about running, which when we were working together, mm-hmm. we did a lot of, mm-hmm. right. You know, challenging ourselves and then talking about it and, and talking about tips. We've re- ran a race together mm-hmm. um, at nighttime for a Christmas tree lighting. Um, yeah. I got lost in the crowd. So I don't think we even met up because I had no I'm idea. I'm pretty sure you smoked was. me. I'm not a fast runner. <laughs> um, and then that's not the only thing that's not it's not concrete that that's always going to be your go-to thing exercise is not always going to be your go-to thing uh, coloring or sewing or hobbies aren't always going to be your go-to thing but it's good to build that utility belt of uh, support so that you can pick and choose where and when you want to use those things and i think that's overlooked a lot of times because you know a big thing a, a lot of memes out there and i've had conversations about it are talking about how a lot of people say, hey, just eat healthy and exercise that will help with anxiety and depression. And yes, scientifically it does, but it doesn't, (laughs) it's not gonna necessarily cure trauma. It's not gonna, you know, change depression if you're constantly being stimulated by the same things or if you don't make changes in your life can help. And I think that's an important thing too, is that it's, not this or that it's everything in between absolutely we don't have to be finite in our resources to take care of ourselves we have many different ways and sometimes it's just doing the damn thing that you need to do that day so that you can read that book or you can so or hey if you want to scroll through facebook you can do that without you can do that a hundred percent and not have to worry about what's on the back burner absolutely and you don't have to you know this idea that there's only one way or one path to wellness for me that's like so tied up into consumerism and like we want the cure-all and give it to me now and you know mlm (laughs) multi-layer marketing absolutely i got the tea for you for mental health and weight loss exactly like you know and wait there's more you know i'll throw in this extra thing that you know it doesn't work like that because if it was you and i would be unemployed Mm-hmm. Right. Like, because yeah. if therapy is the cure-all, then we would not have jobs. That's ju- that's just the reality. And it's okay for there to be multiple paths. And it's okay for you to find that right now, this is not the thing that's working for me, but I can come back to it because it is, as you're offering, you know, the analogy of like, it's part of my utility belt and I can, I can come back to it. And that's great. I think for me and, and you know, I mentioned before I'm a mom, that's all I'm ever hoping to give to my child. Mm-hmm. I want my child to have as many options to 
help him navigate the world and support himself and support the people that he cares about in a way that is going to fill his cup, but also give him options. Because you just don't know what scenarios you're gonna be up against. And it's better to have as many choices to help you get through that than just sort of feel like, oh, I only have, I'm like a one trick pony and guess what? It's not working. And now what am I gonna do? You know, I feel like you fall apart. It's better to be a jack of all trades, right? Yeah. Than to master only one. Yeah. Um, so with that, I think there's a, some really interesting stuff that comes up in the sense of, so we were talking about therapy and this idea of at best being a good therapist is not graduating people from, from sessions and, and having them move on and be cured, but mostly just kind of sitting with them and help helping them kind of navigate. And I think that is an interesting thing because when you go through schooling, you know, there's that one class that's all about the different styles of therapy and where do you fall in with, with this style? And, you know, I think very early on in careers, you, you tend to start identifying with those styles. And, well, this is what I do. I'm a narrative therapist or, right. uh, you know, solution focused, which mm -hmm. I, I throw those two out because I really like them, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself that type of therapist because mm -hmm. I think just like anything, there's consumerism in that, in the sense of marketing yourself in a certain way, instead of saying, hey, I like these aspects, maybe I don't like this. I'm, I'm going to have these as tools, but my job is to sit with the person and hold that space. And so whatever I can do to do that, that's therapy. It's not necessarily these metrics that we have to attain through insurance or perception of what we do just because we saw, you know, the dad on growing pains do it a certain right. way. That's the second time <laughs> right. I've referenced growing pains on here. Um, but I don't, so th that's my own personal experience. I felt a lot of pressure, especially because I came out of grad school and I, you know, I'm not going to name the company, but the company I worked with was kind of this mill to just turn people around. It was very driven on productivity in the sense of how many people you're seeing and then just not really getting paid for what you're doing, getting paid a third of what what's coming into the agency. And just burnout was real. And Brenna and I talked about that a little bit because we both, that's how her and I met. And I think that setting really facilitates like, oh, okay, you have to market yourself as a certain kind of therapist and be true to that. But something that I've learned with working with younger kids is they don't care about any of that. They want to connect to you. They want to see if you're, they're going to push you to see how you respond. And if you respond every way, the way they expect adults to respond, they're going to time out you and kind of kick you to the curb. And so I think that's where I learned very much, okay, I can put that stuff to the side and just be here. And I still have to work on it. Sometimes if I have a kid coming in who uh, is a lot in my head, I'll, I'll say, okay, what's my game plan? And yeah. then in the first five minutes, I'm like, ah, screw the game plan. Like, yeah. let's just sit with, with this kid and see where it goes. And those are the more productive sessions. So I was wondering um, if, if that was something that was real for you. And if it was like, where did you grow from that? Sure. No, I, Absolutely. It's, it's definitely something I've experienced. I was, I was trained in a very particular way and it was, 
it was connected to systems and really looking at how systems impact the individual, but how that individual is then impacted, um, impacting those same systems in sort of more of a reciprocal relationship. And so for me, that makes sense. It's in so many ways, it's how I also organize the world. I really hold the value that there are systems that impact me every single day, some of which I have no control of, or I often feel like I have no control of. And then there are systems that I, I also impact and I have to be mindful of, of the ways in which I impact those systems or I can be doing harm to them. And that's, right. that's not how I want to live my life. Um, and it's, it's interesting because professionally, I was raised by social workers. As a, as a um, mental health counselor, I didn't often have many um, mental health counselors early in my career who were doing a lot of the training. And I am forever indebted to, to the social workers um, who helped to give me that foundation because they exposed me to so many other modalities that were not part of the curriculum that I was trained in. And it was one of those things where I was like, wow, I just spent all this money on this degree and I just got this whole other secondary education. <laughs> where was this? Because this stuff is just as important and it's fabulous and it's meaningful and I can see the impact it's having on people's lives. Um, and, you know, there were some people that I met during that time who I adore, who felt very close to very particular types of modalities. And, you know, they put in their, their hours and, you know, by any standard, they would be expert in that modality. Um, I myself did some very specialized training in, in trauma work and, you know, on paper, you can claim expert, but in practice, I realize that I really am somebody that I want to give the people that I work with. And, and at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm serving more as an administrator um, and, a, and a manager but I want the people that I'm helping to train, the, the staff that we are working with, I want them to have as many options because you don't know who is gonna be on the other side of that referral. And I know for myself, when I think about the relationships I've had over the years with therapists, I have found the most value and benefit from people who really met me where I was at and understood that if they were kind of only going down one road, I wasn't going to go down that road with them. I wasn't in the place where I could. And so, you know, I think, and maybe it's a little bit tangential, but I think that so often, like you were saying before, there's sort of this pressure from our industry and our funding sources of someone has to be graduated from care. You have to do your work in a very, um, particular way because the metrics say so, and that is in fact how you were compensated. Um, and I, I find that to be really difficult because at the same time they'll say, well, be, make sure you're focused on the individual. Well, both of those things are really hard to be true if that's the case. If I'm gonna really focus on the individual, I have to be with them where they're at in that moment today. And knowing that in, in the course of our time together, it can shift. And that's okay. And there's value in that. And as a practitioner, I need to make sure I have as many skills to be able to offer. Um, and that's, and that's the value that, that I hold. Um, I know that for 
for folks that I've worked with over the years, you know, I'm not, I'm not a firm believer in, oh, like whoever the therapist is that's assigned to you, you just have to develop a relationship with them. I view it as if I were to find out right now, I have a major illness, I'm going to find the best provider to get me through to the other side. Yeah. And that's how I view the therapeutic relationship. I really feel like you've got to find the provider who is the person that you feel like you can connect with. And that might mean you have to see if you, a few before you find your person. Yeah. Um, and I, I also feel like being able to, you know, use the, the therapeutic relationship to, to move you through a particular time. And if you need to take a break and, you know, say, I'm, I'm going to be back when I'm ready for my tune-up and you go back for your tune-up. Um, the same way you might go to your doctor for like, you know, your annual exam, that kind of thing. I, I think of it that way. Um, right. And for me, that's been helpful. I know that that doesn't work for everyone. And I know that depending on what you might be experiencing, that would not be an appropriate protocol for treatment. So I'm clear on that, but I also know that there are some people that they, they do need that break. They do need some flexibility. Um, and, and being able to be a practitioner that can offer multiple things, I think there's value in that. The same way, same way that there can be value in, you know, putting in your, your expert hours in a particular modality and that being the thing that you do. Right. I think there's room for both. Yeah, and I think it leads back to that conversation of uh, integrative approaches to things, mm-hmm. whole whole person focused uh, conversations, and and being able to honor like, hey, I do know a little bit about this stuff, but I'm not the best at it, so check these people out. And so I think right. I think that's a really important thing to also cultivate in practice, whether it's therapy or just you know what you do for a living is knowing who else is doing what around you and where I'm not going to say weaknesses, but where you're not, you're not as strong. So not mm-hmm. necessarily weakness. You're strong in all these things, but you're really strong in this thing. So right. know where you can kind of direct people to a, a person who's stronger in the thing that you're just strong in. Um, yeah. That was a tongue twister to get through. <laughs> <this sentence. laughs> uh, and I think it is really important to to take a look at those things because so much comes into it you know we've only scratched the the surface of of what that looks like but the physicality of emotions and you know one of the things i like doing with people early on when we're working is is talking about where do emotions live where do they live and most people will will point to their head and then you can start having that conversation well you you know it's not just there. And then you talk about, you know, nervous system reactions and how it affects digestive systems and, and your muscles and your heart and your lungs and all this stuff. And it really opens up this conversation of, Hey, you don't have to just typecast what's happening to one space and say, I have no control over it. You can kind of look at these other spaces and start making some, some progress in that. And it alleviates some of the intense doesn't cure. It doesn't necessarily make it go away, but it can help um, yes. lessen it so you can manage or you can find what the next step is. Yeah. And so I know my, my practice in, in trying to be more integrative in that nature really came from my own background with running and exercising, but also trauma and anxiety and depression and overeating and really finding what worked for me. So I, I chased that very early on and, and started making some 
of my own connections, which led me to look at the research and, and do that. You mentioned a, a little bit about your journey on that. Where do you feel like you were exposed to more, more modalities? You were really system-based. Yeah. And now we're talking about integrative, more um, looking at the whole person, the, the whole situation. Where did that come in for you? You know, I, I've always been fascinated by the human body. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a pediatrician. That was sort of the thing, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to be a pediatrician. And, and then that changed for me um, in my adolescence, because I realized that I really wanted to be a mental health provider. Like there was a defining moment for me. I will never forget it. And I, I just knew that that's, this was the industry I was supposed to be in. And my love for how our bodies work and, and why they function the way they do has never gone away. Like I just love science. It's just the nerd in me. It's just there. Yeah. And in my graduate program, I was able to um, spend some time, some concentrated time um, on a health psychology track. And I was, it satisfied both things for me. I was able to really understand how you need to have your, your body to feel well so that your mental health is well. Um, and I was like, oh, that makes all the sense in the world. But then again, like I was saying earlier, in practice, I don't see that play mm -hmm. out. Right. Um, and I myself, as a, as a practitioner, I can think of times where I'm like, ah, I could have done a much better job there because that would have gotten everyone involved to a place that would have been more honoring of, of the person as a whole. And there are different, there are other interventions we could have integrated that would have been more useful, you know? Um, and I, I think that um, for me, a big change happened 10 years ago. Um, our family has, um, we've been very medically involved for the past decade. Um, myself, my, my spouse and my child, we've all had um, just a lot of uh, chronic um, medical concerns that we've had to, to navigate and negotiate. And in that process, I realized that particularly in the beginning, it is now less so, and I'm really grateful for that. But in the beginning, when all of a sudden your world becomes very heavy with medical intervention, that is all you focus on. Right. And that is all anybody chases. You know, you see this specialist, you see that specialist, and they're all just focused on their part. And, you know, when something is acute and serious, you, you have to do that. Like that's the reality of it. But when you have a little bit of distance, that's not what's left. Mm -hmm. What's left is all these other parts, all these other things that need attending to, those people aren't there anymore. And that's, that's not their gig. So they're not going to be there. <laughs> and they, they will offer care and compassion, but it doesn't, it doesn't help you deal with the aftermath. Right. And so for our journey, we had to figure out who are the people that can be there to help with the aftermath. And so, you know, that came in the form of friends and family, but that also came in the form of trying to find things that would provide relief. And we didn't know what those things were gonna be. 
because we were just like, never had to deal with this, never had to think about <laughs> right. this. So at that point, what do you have to lose, really, right? Like, yeah. you were sort of on the edge of losing, and you're like, eh, it's cool, like, saw it, don't want to go to the other side, I'm going to check out everything else that might exist as an opportunity. Right. And so in our family, we explored acupuncture, we explored Reiki, um, we really looked at meditation and yoga in a very different way, really tried to think about what is it that um, our faith, Christianity offered, but also what did other faiths offer that we could practice, that could enhance our, our, our sort of spiritual awareness and give us an awakening and, and also to give us some of those, those secondary benefits. And so um, we spent some time learning more about Buddhism um, and just sort of also spirituality, just in general, connecting right. with the natural world um, and, and finding practitioners in those areas um, in addition to traditional mental health, you know? Yeah. And that meant we had to look at our, our nutrition. It meant we had to think differently about what each body needed and what each body didn't need and couldn't tolerate. Um, and for each of us, we had a very different journey and, and, and that made all the difference because we were able to not only deal with the aftermath, but it also helped to improve the things that physically were not working um, that you know the specialists were also addressing. And so it became a really, um, in, in many ways, it became a really nice integrative approach. Um, I, I mentioned before, I, I spent um, most of last year and part of this year on a medical leave and um, I had to spend so much time just addressing my health. I, right. I didn't have an option. It was like, you got to do something differently. Um, and really learning that my stress is held in particular parts of my body. And those parts of my body were ill. <laughs> they right. were very, very ill and they needed, they needed care in a different way. And so working with an integrative team allowed me to heal, allowed me to think about how I, I manage my stress differently because stress isn't going away. Right. Like I still live in the world like everyone else. Um, but how I'm going to manage it, knowing the impact it can have on my body and knowing the very things that are at stake changes my behavior. It forces me to, to be really mindful of, yeah, I want to eat like 10 chocolate bars because I love me some chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> but like I can have half a chocolate bar or I can, I can have the whole chocolate bar, but I'm not going to have the 10 because that's, right. that's not necessary. Um, and I got to make sure I'm like chasing more vegetables, you know, like really like trying to balancing. do more of that balance. Um, and, you know, in those moments recognizing like, oh, you know what? My body is telling me I need something else. So just like shoving the chocolate bar is not going to, it's not going to be the thing that's going to fix it. Like I actually right. have to listen to what my body is saying, honor it and give it that. And then if I want more, then I can have a chocolate bar. Yeah. So it's, it's been, it's been so much of that, um, but it makes, it's made all the difference. Yeah. And I think I, I really, I'm going to say it again, Caitlin, so make fun of me. <laughs> I really love everything you just said, because it is looking at things 
and, and paying attention and asking yourself, yeah, I want this. Is this generative for me? Is this going to move me to a place? It may taste good, 10 chocolate bars, because it's made to taste good. So it's definitely right. going to taste good. Is this generative for my health overall? And and I've been really working on that myself with asking myself, is this generative for me, for my family, for my friends, for my daughter, for my wife? Or is this just an impulse that I, I want this because I'm intrigued by it or, or you know, things of that nature. And it, it's moved me beyond just the black and white of positive and negative and, and kind of helped me take a look at, there's always a generative option for, for you in, in any situation. It may not be positive, air quotes positive, but it can always be generative because it allow you to move forward and and open that door at least it's not going to happen right away but there are clear indications if i make this choice it's either going to set me back or hold me where i'm at whereas if i make this choice i don't know where it's going to go but it opens the door to more possibilities right and i think that's really important for health and it and it and it allows you to stay in the gray so that you're not always diametrically opposed Mm -hmm. and there's so many more options within that spectrum. And, and I think that, you know, I want to be clear. It's something I have to like intentionally practice every day. Oh yeah. There are, t- you it's know, not, it's, I have it's not simple. found it's some just like, not easy, yeah, you know, I've not found some like Holy grail and it's like, Oh, I'm so actualized. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. The reality is, is it's effort and it's work. Um, and there are times where I'm just like, I don't really feel like doing it. Screw it. Like, I just don't want to. Um, there are days where I'm like, you have to, because you need this at like a cellular level, you need this. Um, and, and it's, it's that active choice. And it's also giving yourself that the grace, or if you, if you want to forgive yourself or however, you know, however you come to understand it, you give yourself the permission to say, I just need to sit. I just need to rest. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Like there isn't some race that you're unwillingly part of that, you know, you're not going to miss. Right. Um, and y- you have to just be honest with yourself about that and, and know that that's okay. And that everything else does fall into place. Um, right. and, and I feel like we're just so programmed to believe it won't, you're going to miss, you're, you're going to lose out. Mm-hmm. And you can spend a lot of time chasing that. Yeah. But that comes at a consequence. It, it's a weird accountability situation, right? It's not necessarily oh, okay, it's my fault, but it's taking accountability of like, no, I chose to do this and that's okay. I mean, there are days I don't want to go for a run and sometimes I don't. And before I, I, you know, when I was doing a lot of races, I'm like, oh man, you really slacked off and I'd, I'd feel really guilty. But I've gotten to a point through doing this work, building this discipline to be like, to, to say to myself, no, it's okay. You just chose not to do it and tomorrow's a new day and you can choose to do it tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll still be there. It makes I a think, huge difference in, in yes. all this stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there are times where I, you know, m- my spouse will say, you seem really stressed out. You seem like you need to go. So and I'm like, yeah, I do. But like, I don't have it in me. I might physically be too tired. Mm-hmm. Um, my eyes just might be too tired. But I still, I still need that like kind of calming effect that I get that relaxation response. So I'll watch a YouTube video and I might go down the YouTube rabbit hole for a while. Like, let's be honest, it happens. 
but I get that same relaxation response. It's still satisfying that sort of that need, that level of creativity, that connection to something that brings me a lot of joy. And at first it was like, oh man, I should be like, I should be in there cranking it out, but you can't. Sometimes you just can't and that's okay. So what's the thing adjacent that will make you get maybe those same level of secondary benefits that are important to you. Um, and that's, it's just as good. Yeah. You got to trust your utility belt. Yeah. Batman trusts his utility belt extensively. Um, and so I think we, as, as people on this journey have to trust our own utility belt and, and, and pay attention to that. All right. So I have a couple of questions for you before we end. You already, you already answered one of them. Uh, which was what, what do you think your superpower is? And you flip the script on the type A personality. So, oh yeah, you know, if you, you don't remember it, just rewind the podcast <laughs> or go back to the beginning. Um, so I do want to ask you one question and that's if you could have any superpower, imagining you're in a world where every superpower exists, yeah, what would it be and why? Oh, gosh, Steve, that's a big one. I, I think I would want, it's a toss up between, and I don't know if these like really constitute superpowers by like the legit comic book wisdom that you have, but <laughs> so like it's a toss up between flying, but I also want to be able to be underwater and like explore underwater. And that's actually, that's the one I'm gonna choose. Like to be able to be underwater for long periods of time and breathe comfortably the way I understand Aquaman to be able to do. Because for a really, really long time, I was terrified of swimming and fear of of drowning and all of that and forced myself as an adult to learn how to swim. So now I can actually properly swim. And nice. But I I do sort of initially have that like, oh God, I'm going to (laughs) die. So I think if I had that superpower, I could just like ignore that part and go straight to the, oh my God, I love this. This is so exhilarating and freeing. And yeah. And nothing would be off limits. So that's yeah. awesome. I like that. See all the cool animals. I would hope that they would not want to eat me like the sharks. But like if they, if it was just like an understanding, like I have this power, so like I'm okay to be down here. <laughs> yeah. I would appreciate that. Please do not eat me. Yeah. Any, any last words of wisdom that you, any gems you want to drop for our listeners before we sign off today? I would say whatever is going to help you to to reacquaint yourself with your inner voice, do that. If that's if there's anything you're going to put your energy into, it should be that. That's what I would encourage people to do, um, because you get so much out of it, and it it will not let you down. So chase that. You're going to chase anything, chase that. And vegetables, chase vegetables. And vegetables. Yeah, you got to chase your vegetables. You just have to, it's a fact. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amani. I'm honored and blessed to to have you on the podcast. And it's been really fun to catch up and, and then also talk introspectively and introspectively and just kind of philosophically with you. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and it was good fun. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info 
at thepromethianproject.org. If you want to learn more about The Promethean Project, or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at thepromethianproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.